that's simply impossible with his true disciples. Yes, he will say to the false disciples, I never knew you, never knew you. But Jesus will never say that to his true church, to his disciples, because he knows that when God's work of grace through the Holy Spirit comes into his people's lives, well, the result of that is that that person is going to do the will of the Father because of the grace of God at work in their lives. In other words, the the very spirit of God in them is going to go about the business of changing their heart to want to do the will of God in all that they do. Brothers and sisters, I just want to pause here and say that that's that's incredibly wonderful news. It's incredibly wonderful news for all of us this morning because it means that when we were given spiritual ears to hear and we heard the gospel, when we came to Christ, when we gave our lives to him, we weren't just forgiven of our sins. No, we were given the very spirit of God. And the Bible teaches us that God then works in our very being for the rest of our days, for the rest of our lives, to make us more and more like Jesus. I mean, what a wonderful truth. There is a living relationship that we entered with God when we came to Christ. That's why, that's why we trust what he says. That's why we want to do what he wants, because of the very spirit of God at work in all of our hearts. All of that to say that life-changing work of the Spirit isn't something that he has given to us so that we might just practice it on Sundays or in front of other people. No, it's something that changes all of us, every aspect of our very being, and because of his work in the life of his people. As we trust and obey, we see the real effects of that life-changing work in every aspect of our lives. So the wise builder is the true disciple, who by the grace of God hears the words of God and sees them for what they are, trustworthy and true and something worth building their entire life on. To say that another way, the wise builder isn't like the false disciple who gives some lip service but never embraces what Jesus has to say. No, the wise builder is the disciple who builds their entire life on Jesus, knowing that Christ is a sure foundation, that there is no other way. And they do that by not just hearing the words of Jesus, but doing what he says. In a very real way, Jesus is saying to us that the wise builder is the disciple who embraces him with their whole lives, with all of their hearts, with all of their minds, with their souls and with all their strength in what they do. And so to that, so to do that, to embrace Jesus with all that we are and to do what he says is to build our life upon the rock. That is the wise builder. That is the true disciple. 
And I mean, this isn't some new revelation that Jesus has given us here this morning. Now, Jesus is only clarifying a biblical truth as God's word speaks plainly about putting into practice what you hear. As obedience is the necessary result of a converted heart. Moses warns about the consequence of just hearing and not doing what God says in Deuteronomy 28.15. He says, if you don't obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees that I'm giving you, all these curses will come and overtake you. The psalmist says a similar thing, but he puts it another way, saying, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. A person's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. In other words, the Bible teaches that it's not those who just have a mere theoretical knowledge of God or even understand his requirements that are blessed. Now, the one who is blessed, which is the opposite to being cursed, mind you, is the one who not only listens and understands what God says, but does what he tells us. They work out what he says into their lives. Over and over, the word of God stresses that we ought not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of what we hear. This is something that the disciples of Jesus reinforced in their own letters to us. John puts it like this. This is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, 1 John 5.3. With James not pulling any punches, saying, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. James 1, 22 through to 25. Again, obedience is the necessary result of a converted heart. To put that another way, we know that we have truly embraced Christ and his authority when we are doing what he commands us to do. And we do that because our hearts have been, what the Bible says, circumcised. We've been converted by the grace of God. Church, it's because of the grace, the unmerited favor of God, and because of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's precious people in us, that we know what Jesus has to say is right and true. And because of God's work in us, 
that deep desire to follow what he says, well, we do something with it. We put it into practice. We put his words into practice. And that's what Jesus calls being a wise builder who's building on the rock. I want to say a couple of things about this. First, the Bible does not teach that we save ourselves by our own obedience. I I really want you to hear that this morning because Jesus is certainly not teaching that. He's simply calling his disciples to build their lives upon the foundation of his very person and words. He's calling us to conform our minds to his words, to live out the commands that he has given us. That's the doing that he is speaking about here. As he knows that all our doing, no matter how hard we might try, that won't save us. That's because he knows that it is only his perfect life given on behalf of us is what sets us right before God. And that only comes about by embracing him, the narrow gate, by faith. So we mustn't think that Jesus is telling us that if we just labor hard enough, we'll get over the line in the end. Second, just because we love Jesus and we want to go about doing what he tells us, well, does that mean that we're going to get it right 100% of the time? No. No. But that's not the point that Jesus is driving at here on the Sermon of the Mount. If he expected us to get it right every time, then he wouldn't have given us those incredible words to take to our Father in prayer. Forgive us of our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Remember, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Church, applying the law to our hearts as we've seen it done in the Sermon on the Mount will show us that we are very much the poor in spirit. That we truly are the poor in spirit that continually need the mercy of God. However, in saying that, as true disciples, we will never, could never, cast the words of our Lord aside. Now, every time we see where we fall short, where we've once again strayed like a sheep from our shepherd, once again being tempted to put that light under a bowl, we'll go to our Father in that secret place close the door and confess our sin and ask for his forgiveness and grace and mercy to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. Church, we'll be drawn to do that because of the spirit of God in us. That's what the grace of God causes the true disciples and wise builders to do because And because of the gospel, we can look to Jesus, knowing that all our transgressions have been dealt with so that we can walk again in confidence, knowing that he will never leave nor forsake us. 
words, as the saints have sung for well over a hundred years, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all those who trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Church, has the grace of God transformed your life? Has the grace of God caused you to trust the gospel and obey our awesome saviour? Because there is no more vitally important question that we need to ask of ourselves this morning. As Jesus points out here in verses 26 through to 7, 27. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. It fell with a great crash. Church, it's very simple what Jesus is doing here in our passage this morning. As has been said, he's simply contrasting two types of disciples in the visible church. One who is wise and builds his house upon the rock, who, as we've seen, is the disciple who builds his life on not just hearing the words of God, but who puts them into practice over against the foolish builder who hears the words of God, yet doesn't apply it. To do that, says Jesus, to not practice what he has revealed, is to be like a builder who builds their house on the sand. Their end is utter ruin. You see, in the ancient world, people knew that you couldn't just build your house on sand because it shifted with different seasons and the weather would cause uh, all that was built on the sand to shift with it. And so, in context, uh, with the crowds here, Jesus is saying, are you going to build your life on the shallow, shifting sands of the outward religious understanding that you've heard from the religious teachers being the Pharisees? Are you going to pursue this surface righteousness that has an unstable foundation of traditions and religious hypocrisy, or are you going to dig past that and build your life on the very words of God? And kind of like last week with the illustration of the trees, a tree can't hide its fruit forever. And so like a house that's built on a dodgy foundation, it might look great for a season. But when seasons change, and they do, when the storms come, and they will, which is all language directing our attention to judgment, what is built on the surface, what you have built on will be shown for what it is. Jesus could not be more clear with us this morning. Are you building your house on outward religious works or are you going so much deeper to build your house upon his very words? 
He's getting us to reflect, isn't he? It's all about Jesus getting us to consider what we're building our lives on. Notice that both the wise and foolish, they're building. It's not like Jesus says wise people build and foolish people just kind of sit and do nothing. They're both building. For the most part, they pretty much look pretty good on the surface. However, what Jesus is wanting us to focus on here is all about what we build on. As I've already said in context, Jesus is challenging all those that are hearing him to consider what have they built their lives on? What have they built their lives on? What have they done with the Pharisees and their surface lessons of the law? But I want to ask that question of you this morning. I want to ask it of all of us. Are we building our life on religious traditions, on external standards and things that make us think, hey, I I do all of this, so I'm okay with God? Or have you come to the rock of your salvation? Have you cast your whole self upon the Lord or are you still looking to your own so-called righteousness for justification? Because as Jesus says, unless your life is built on the rock of his teaching, his doctrine of himself, anything else is just shifting sand that's ready to cave in on itself once it comes under external pressure. And we can take the words of Jesus and believe that that day is coming. That day is coming. And that's what Jesus has been saying since chapter 7, 13 onwards. Destruction is promised to all those who choose the wide gate, the broad path, and that final destination is pictured in in different ways in these last few verses. First with the burning of rotten trees and now with the destruction of a house built on sand. His point couldn't be any more clear. He isn't asking if we would just consider what he has said. If we would just Hear what he said. He's calling you and me to build our lives on all that he hears. Because if we hear the words of Jesus, yet cast him aside and do our own thing, even though we might look good at keeping up appearances with the Christian community around us, well, there's a certain end. A certain end. Let me be direct with you. What do you stand for? What is your life built on? What consumes and drives your daily life? The test of life will come. The seasons will come and go with the so-called storms. It's going to give you an indication. In other words, when the pressures of life come, when the pressure of sin comes, when the pressure of difficulty comes, does your life show that you're building on the foundation, which is Jesus? 
Or do you see the cracks and the crumbling? Again, this isn't Jesus saying we are saved by our works. But he is stressing that all those who truly hear his words, who really embrace him by faith, will express that faith in what they do. We're all building on something, every single one of us. The question is, what are you building on? Are you building for the here and now? Are you building with eternity in mind? Are you building something that is exclusively just to be seen in public? Or are you taking the words of Jesus and applying it to every area of your life, even when no one is watching. Again, the point of our Lord is simple. He's saying to us, his disciples, that the wise person builds on the foundation of Christ's life and words and that the wise and true disciples' foundation is Christ. It's Christ himself whom we have embraced with all that we are and doing what he says, so that not if, but when that great storm of final judgment comes, we'll stand because our foundation is sure and true. So brothers and sisters, be very wise in what you do with the words that you hear. Because the foolish person is content to ignore the words of our Lord. So as we end our time uh, this morning, not only in this passage, but conclude our time in the book of Matthew um, until we come back to it uh, mid-next year, Matthew ends this sermon with an incredibly interesting sentence. It's interesting. Look with me, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as teachers of the law. Now, I say it's interesting uh, what Matthew records here because of everything that we have looked at over the past several months as we've been in this series since February. Let me explain what I mean. Matthew was showing us that just because the crowds were amazed, well, it meant nothing. It was great that they had heard the word of God. It was great that they were drawn to Jesus. It was great that they may have sat down and nodded along with what Jesus had to say. But Matthew kind of leaves us with a question, doesn't he? And that question is, what were the crowds going to do with what Jesus had said? Were they going to go back to their their homes, back to their religious establishment, back to their easy lives, to their external outward religious works? Or were they going to go and put what he had said into practice? In other words, were they going to continue to build their house upon the sand or were they going to hear what it had to be said and start to build on the rock? 
And I think that's part of the question that Matthew wants anyone to ask who reads through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this. Is it possible to sit at the feet of Jesus and not actually embrace him by faith? Is it possible to hear the very words of God and not put into practice what you have heard? Well, I have a sneaking suspicion that Matthew doesn't want us to stay in that state of pondering for too long. Now, I think his aim isn't to keep us pondering, but to take these words, take these questions and ask them of ourselves so that we too might come to a place where we confess Jesus as Lord and embrace him by faith and thus walk with him all the days of our life. Matthew wants us to enter that narrow gate and walk that narrow path. You see, as Matthew has shown us through the months, this is the awesome good news of Jesus Christ. God's promised king, and with any evangelist, they want to poke at our hearts so that we might ask the question of ourselves: Do I know Jesus? Have I embraced Jesus by faith? Have I entered by the narrow gate? Am I building my life on the rock of my salvation? Well, if you're here this morning and you would say no to any of those things, then it is the Lord Jesus who says to you today, I will in no way cast out anyone who comes unto me. Anyone. But I've done all of this. I've done all of that. The Bible is clear. The words of God are clear that he forgives all transgression. If you want to speak more about these things, I would love to speak to you, pray with you because... You are hearing these words by no mistake this morning. Salvation is truly being held out to you. Don't let pride or embarrassment hold you back from the Saviour King who has come to rescue his precious people. Come and find me after the service and we'll pray together. You might be here this morning and you have thrown yourself on the rock of your salvation and trusting Jesus with all that you are. But as you've been building, as you've been walking, you've seen some things that aren't so good. You know they're not so good. So this morning, over the next few moments, I'm not going to end our time in prayer as I usually do, but I'm going to get you to put into practice what Jesus has told us to do. And that is to go to our Father in heaven and to pray to him. So over the next few moments, as we think about these things, as we confess these things to our Father and ask for his forgiveness, might I encourage you 
to also ask that by his Holy Spirit, he would cause you to raise your eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one who has kept all of what we have spoke, spoken about this morning perfectly on our behalf. Let me encourage you, church, over the next few moments, let's take a couple of minutes just to go to our Father and pray, and then I'll ask the team to come and lead us.